All right, today I'm sitting down with Tom Carter to ask him a few questions about Utah's growing pollution problem. Tom is the executive director at the Utah Clean Air Partnership, a statewide partnership that is focused on helping individuals, businesses, and communities to take small steps towards improving Utah's overall air quality. Tom, thank you for sitting down with me and providing some of your expertise on this matter. I appreciate it. Why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to become so actively involved in this movement towards obtaining better air quality conditions here in Salt Lake City? Absolutely. Thanks. Um, so about, so in February of 2017, I was, I was doing a different kind of work. I was working, um, my work has always been in, in uh, kind of relationship work. I've done a lot of political work. I was an elected official in my early 30s. I've worked in advocacy and uh, in healthcare policy and some transportation work as well. But in February of 2017, I was, uh, I was working on a big project and I got sick. And uh, I got really sick, I got pneumonia. And, uh, but I'm a workaholic and, my, and so I just wouldn't take any time off to get better. Mm-hmm. And I, my doctor said, we have to. And I said, well, there's gotta be another option. I said, sure, um, we'll give you steroids. And I'm like, well, will there be any side effects? He goes, yeah, there will be side effects. You will uh, gain weight. And I'm like, fine, I'll grow a beard. No one will notice. And he's like, and you'll get meaner. And I'm like, well, that my project, I just had interns. I'm like, so fine, no big deal. No one will care. And um, so I dealt with and, and worked through, kind of had a walking pneumonia uh, from February until June. And my lungs got worse, and I ended up with adult onset asthma, and just life was terrible. In June was when I was able to take some time off, and I rested for a couple of weeks, and things got better, and I sat down with my doctor, and we realized that I got pneumonia, I got sick, on the worst air quality day of the year in 2017. And it gave me a wake-up call, and I thought, you know, uh, there's no way my story is unique. Yeah. Uh, other people have, have to have this. This is something that's going on with everybody, and that project I had been working on, had come to a close and I was out to lunch with a friend of mine and we were talking about this and he said, you know, you care is looking for someone um, with your unique background and skills that understands politics and policy that has a, a tie to the issue. Would you be interested in talking to them? And I said, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. you know, a month later they'd asked me to come and become the executive director. So that was about 18 months ago when I was hired, about two years in the full process. And so it all kind of fell into place. Fell into place. Yeah. Unfortunately, like an unfortunate right time, wrong place, yeah. it's a right place kind of situation. Um, but like I said, you know, it's air quality is personal for me. It's personal for most people that get involved. Um, what we try and do is to help everyone find that personal connection, whether it's a health personal connection, an economics personal connection, a growth personal connection. Air quality has an effect on everything we do. And um, so... You know, well, my issue is that I, for the rest of my life, will have to take um, an inhaler before I go to bed every night. When I get up in the morning and and every time that, you know, the air gets better, I exert myself. Mm -hmm. That is why, one of the reasons why I do it. But we're trying to help other people identify what, why they should do it as well. Okay. Very interesting. Um, So, from all of the research that I've kind of done, I've sort of figured out that this is a problem that has a wide range of contributors, 
per se. Um, the high rates of particulate pollution and ozone here in the valley are being caused by a multitude of different sources, and therefore it becomes unclear where, can, where we can really start to attempt to solve the problem. So in your opinion, Tom, where do you think we should be focusing most of our efforts? So that's a really astute uh, observation, and it actually causes us the most amount of consternation. Um, because if we look at the emissions base, there's nothing that really sits along the top that says, okay, here's, our, here's the low-hanging fruit, let's just go after it. It's a lot of little things, and when it's a lot of little things, it becomes very expensive, and time, and, and time it takes a lot of time. What we do know is this, you know, about 44% of, of our emission base comes from mobile sources, so that's cars. Um, and then another 35 or so percent come from area sources, so our homes and our buildings. So if you really look at it, about 70 percent, a little more, of the emissions base come from us just living our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we try and do then is help people identify if, they're, if, we, if we take one step back, instead of looking at everything from a baseline and say, okay, well, 3 percent of the problem is snowblowers and 5 percent of the problem is water heaters and and all those things, we take it just a step back and say, by living your life, you're producing emissions. Yeah. How can we get you to alter some things in your life that will that will reduce emissions? That way, we help people find what works best for them, and just do some. Then we just find what works for them. We believe in the economics principle of the aggregation of marginal gains, which quite simply is, um, if you change one percent and I change one percent. And the seven people sitting outside my office all change 1%. We aggregate that together. Well, that's 10%. Mm-hmm. And that's a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now there are some things, some big things we can do, right? So we know that 15% of direct PM in the wintertime comes from wood burning. That's a big deal. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a big percent. So we dig a little deeper into that number. Um, there are only 70 homes in our seven non-attainment counties that have a waiver from the state government to burn wood for primary heat. Well, if there are only 70 homes that are burning for primary heat, or at least have the waiver to burn for primary heat, but it's 15% of direct PM, what's going on? And when in Salt Lake County, when we get to yellow air, voluntary action air, it is illegal to burn. And in the outlying remaining counties, uh, when it gets to orange and red air, it becomes illegal to burn. Yet, through research from Dr. Kerry Kelly at the University of Utah, we see an increase in burning no matter the air quality on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays and holidays. So what does all that tell us? People don't burn wood for heat. They burn wood because they like it. Yeah. And it smells good. And they're having people over and it's cool. So what can we do with that? How can we fix that? Um, 16 months ago, we did, UCARE did a program with a couple of sponsors to start, it was a pilot program to get people to switch from a wood-burning appliance to a gas-burning appliance. Very quickly, people made the move because we made it, a fi- we gave them a financial incentive. Mm-hmm. That pilot program helped the state then draw down EPA money for a target airshed grant. It was $9 million. UCARE helped administer that program as well. The money was gone within two weeks people willing to make the change. In this most recent state budget, another $9 million was appropriated for that. We could go out and go after wood burning. That's, in my opinion, the last piece of low-hanging fruit. 
um, and get people to either um, figure out a way to enforce it. It's very hard to enforce. Um, but also encourage people through convenience and cost-saving measures uh, to make the change, uh, then that's a big piece of it. The other piece, of course, because 45 to 50% of our problem comes from mobile sources or, or on-road mobile, to be more precise, we have to encourage people to be smart with how they use their automobiles. So that's everything from carpooling to trip chaining to even even limiting, reducing idling. There's nothing that I think drives us more bonkers than when we, um, when you go in front of a school, um, you know, when you're picking kids up from school in the afternoon and you see 15 cars just sitting there for 15 minutes. So one of the things we see in our, in our data is that most people are, are, most people aren't motivated to help with the air. They're motivated by money and time. So when we talk to people about idling, if you idle for 10 minutes, you've wasted an entire gallon of gas. That's $2.50. Yeah. So not only does it help clean our air, but you might just save some money and turn off your car. Um, so we're trying to help people see that message. The other piece, of course, is to get just people out of their car in general and onto transit. And we work closely with UTA and UDOT and uh, planning agencies um, to encourage people to be smarter with, uh, to use transit, but also as we plan, how will transit be a part of our of our growth strategy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you attend the U. Um, every University of Utah student receives free transit, um, yet the parking lots are full. Yeah. So we have to do something from with our uh, institutes of higher education to somehow incentivize outside of free, because it's already free, <laughs> incentivize the student base yeah. and the faculty ba- base um, to, to see that it's actually more convenient on some levels, because it's already free, to take transit. So there's, it's that is a long answer to just say there. <laughs> there's so many yeah. things that what we try and do is get, really, what we try and do is encourage people to find what works best for them, to reduce their own. We we don't want people to waste their emissions. Of course. So reduce your emissions and just use very few. Okay. All right. So emissions, wood burning, kind of all comes down to convenience to the individual mm-hmm. is what it seems like. So, quick follow-up question. Our unique geographical landscape along the Wasatch Front definitely puts us at a disadvantage. Uh, How do you think that we can work around this, or is there a way to work around that? There is no workaround. Um, We just have to deal with what we have. We do. I mean, so, the the folks at the Division of Air Quality did a study, like, um, some people always say, "Let's let's do a big fan. Can we do a big fan that'll blow the um, blow the inversion out mm-hmm. can we do it well according to them it would take all the power on the entire western grid to create a to to have enough power to for a fan to blow an inversion out that's burning a lot of coal yeah and that's a problem yeah so so we have a unique we, this unique geography we have is beautiful right we all want to live up against the mountains this is fantastic I'll tell you this story. Uh, my seven, uh, in 1946, my grandfather had come back from World War II, and he had met my grandmother in California, and she was still there, and he had moved back, and they were getting ready to get married, but he wanted to buy a house first. And he wrote her a letter, and he said um, that he was going to be looking for lots at 9th East, I'm sorry, 9th South and 22nd East, 
quote, above the smoke line. This was wow. over 70 years ago. It was yeah. 70, so it was 46, so 73 years ago. So um, this valley has always had inversions. It's always been a problem. What we have seen is that there has been a reduction in the amount of red air days. We have seen a reduction in the amount of um, of, of emissions base. I mean, part of that has to do with technology, right? We're not heating our houses with coal. We're not burning our garbage outside. Cars are significantly cleaner. Technology is definitely our friend mm-hmm. when it comes to doing better. But um, one of the things we... That's why we talk about about people limiting or eliminating their own emissions base. And that's how we, we, we don't, anybody tells you we're gonna solve inversion, it's lying to you. What we can do is mitigate the effects. So if, if an inversion starts on a Monday, for example, that lid goes on and, uh, and pollution doubles every single day because nothing can escape. So my emissions from Monday are gonna be stuck until that storm comes. What we can do and what we have done is that instead of on day three, we're on red air. Because we've done a great job of, of conditioning people and reducing our emissions base. Instead of on day three, it turns into red air. It's mm-hmm. day five. And the longer, the longer we can go with a slower build, the better it is because a storm is what breaks it. So sure. what we have to do is continue to get people to reduce their emissions so that the build slows when that storm comes. Now, in a winter like this, where we had a storm every two days, we had great air. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's fantastic. Um, but it also hurts our ability to communicate to people because they think, well, I can just drive everywhere because it's no big deal. But no, we want people to understand every single day they need to be reducing their emissions. It has to be part of their life. So, weather's both our friend and our enemy. Honestly. That's interesting. It definitely comes down to the individuals seeing the progress and making sure that everything that they do on a daily basis is really going to help. So talk to me just a little bit more, a little bit more about you care. Um, and I, I see that you guys have sort of partnered together with a diverse group of people and organizations throughout the state of Utah to sort of help guide the collective effort. How exactly do you guys work together to help combat this yeah. issue. So one of the things we like to say, and it's kind of our guiding principle, is everybody's the problem, so everybody has to be the solution. And so what we try and do is just get everybody in the room. And so whether it's a group that would view themselves as a far-left activist group or a group that views themselves far-right business interest, everybody has a good idea. They're just going to come at it from a different direction. They all want the same thing. Everybody wants clean air, but they just because I come at it from a different direction doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means I'm different. And so we try and sit kind of in this middle uh, and, and moderate the conversation. We want people to come together and say, I may disagree with your business interests or I may disagree with your tactics, but at the end of the day, how can we find common ground? And, and these groups are very different and sometimes adversarial. But um, what we've been able to do is say, okay, um, let's, let's all just find find goals, work together, and and get solutions. Utah is a unique state, and I've, I've worked in, and politically I've worked with five different state legislatures and on, the, and on the federal level as well, and I've never worked with a state that works very, very hard to be collaborative. And that's, I think, the secret sauce for both the state and why UCARE's been able to be successful. So let's say um, we're not interested in, in siloing the problem, we're not interested in 
in empowering either end of this issue. We're, in, we're interested in saying, okay, let's come together. Monthly, we hold a meeting. Um, and it is every interest that comes together, governmental interests, business interests, activist interests, come. We do a presentation from one of these organizations, and then we have a round table. And it's like, tell us what you're working on, how we can all work together. And it's very beneficial, and it's been, it's helped, ca- uh, um, it's helped be a catalyst for progress uh, um, and people finding their voice um, throughout this, throughout kind of the state. Very interesting. So with even though everyone kind of has different interests, it all kind of works out for the benefit. Yeah, I mean, everyone. we don't, everybody plays a role, right? I mean, everybody, you know, we're not interested in, in slowing anybody down. We just want to make sure that everybody finds success. And so, you know, we may disagree with people's tactics, but at the end of the day, everybody's role is important the state cannot do. Sure. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Yes, absolutely. So then, let's look into the future, and I just, I'm curious to know, what is your ultimate end goal, or how far down the road do you think that Utahns can reasonably expect clean air, or air that at least meets the EPA standards? So, the governor has called, would like to decrease emissions another 25% by 2024. Now, to give some, to give some... Uh, perspective on that in the last 15 years we've had a 30 percent 32 percent increase in population and a 38 percent decrease in emissions so our emissions base continues to do well but as we said doesn't solve inversion so what can people what can people hope for what is our goal well um I hope for a lot of snow in the wintertime. Um, and that services our economy in, a, in a many different ways. Not only our air economy, but our water economy and our, and ski, our ski resorts, our, our tourism economy. There's a number of reasons why we want a lot of snow. But I think that as we continue to, there are a couple of things that are working in our favor. One being we continue to make technological advances in automobiles. So in the next year and a half, we will have tier three fuel or low bur- low sulfur fuel that will reduce our emis- car emissions by as much as 80%, um, or a car's emissions by as much as 80%. Low sulfur fuel are being produced by three of the five refineries here in Salt Lake. Um, so that's a big deal. Um, on top of that, houses are being built tighter. We are uh, we have a, a rule, a law in place that says you have to have the best available technology in your water heater, which is an ultra-low NOx water heater, which will reduce the emissions from your water heater by 75% and by your home by like 2%. So it's small, but it's yeah. it's big. So I think that we can continue to see a downward trend um, on emissions base, but the only way, and this is kind of the tough nut on all this, the only way is it that we get better is if we are mindful of the weather. And so that's why we, so we can't just rely on technology and we can't just rely on the weather. The way that we get to where we need to be and how we come into, to um, 
compliance with the state implementation plan is for every Utah to take responsibility for their actions, to find out two or three things that they can do today within their family, their, their selves, their family, their company, and their community that they can implement to be part of the solution. We do not reduce our emissions. We do not become in compliance until people take responsibility for this. So whether it is buying an electric vehicle, which is a, a big financial ask for someone, or just buying a, a better smog-rated vehicle, or just stop idling, um, people can find a piece of, a piece of uh, the pie that fits with them. We ask people to take one step, one small step out of their comfort zone. And from that one small step out of the comfort zone, they're going to see that it's not inconvenient. It's actually going to save you money and it's going to help our air. And then that next step helps more. And that next step helps help more. And by that fifth step, they're an advocate and they're going to be part. They're going to be helping more and more people be part of this. The truth is there are no perfect answers, but there are practical solutions. Yeah. And each individual has to find what practical solution works for them. And so in five years, in 10 years, I believe we'll continue to see a reduction in emissions um, and we'll continue to make progress. But that only works, only works if people are, uh, continue to join the cause. Tom, thank you again for your insight into this, into this issue. It's very insightful and uh, I, I hope you're right. I think, I think that we all do. So 